BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This facility is an insurance policy to ensure that we have adequate number of beds available for patients should the need arise. An alternate care facility at State Fair Park nearly ready to open. The county of Milwaukee and the state of Wisconsin came to FEMA and said, this is a gap that we have, and this is where we need your help. We need to see how this plays out. To the question of whether the alternative care facility will be used, it remains to be seen. It's not often you hear about millions of dollars poured into construction of a building with hopes no one will ever use that building. But that's exactly what's happening all over the country, including Wisconsin. So what happens now? What does that mean for you? And why is getting answers to those basic questions so difficult? From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hey, good morning, Amanda, and welcome back after the long three-day weekend, which was nice and refreshing. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, May 26th. Today, an issue that affects your health and your tax dollars. We're talking about alternate care facilities. An alternate care facility is a fancy way of describing what's essentially COVID-19 overflow field hospital situations. You might have heard state leaders describe them as backup plans or insurance. And that insurance exists right here in Wisconsin. Who's building these field hospitals and where are they, Amanda? Well, the ones we're talking about are part of a group of 37 facilities built by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. They're all over the country, and two of those 37 are in Milwaukee County. One is at State Fair Park. It was built over 10 days, and it sat empty since its completion on April 18th. The other is at Milwaukee County House of Correction. That one took longer to build and just finished up last week. You say there's uh, the first thing that strikes me just looking at those numbers, 37 facilities nationwide and two of them are right here in Milwaukee County. Is there any particular reason why we have two of the 37? I mean, there are 50 states and not just two in Wisconsin, but two right in Milwaukee County. Well, Milwaukee County and the state specifically requested these. So it's the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. These requests go through FEMA, and then they decide, okay, who's going to get what where and what makes sense. So the State Fair Park facility is really more meant to be a general use overflow. The Milwaukee County House of Correction is meant to be a regional facility uh, meant to serve jails and prisons all over the area. And we've done quite a bit of reporting, including your stories, Brian, about the issues and the challenges that come with fighting COVID-19 in a prison type of situation. Well, and I'm getting emails uh, day after day. We're getting them uh, with the investigative unit from people saying we've heard of another inmate or another staff member at this prison or that prison who's tested positive for COVID-19. Is the idea of that HOC facility for inmates who do test positive in the prison system to be taken there as a sort of quarantine? 
It's a mixture of quarantine and overflow. Uh, part of the difficulty in reporting this story, Brian, is that uh, people are being very tight-lipped about all of this. So I couldn't get anyone from Milwaukee House of Correction to even just talk to me on the phone about what's going on with the facility. I had a much easier time getting answers from the federal government, in this case, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, but they're responsible for building, and then they turn it over to the entity. So in this case, they turned over the HOC facility to Milwaukee County. They turned over the State Fair Park facility to the state, specifically the Department of Administration. So after that, they don't really have a whole lot to do with the facility. So figuring out where things go, how exactly things are being used has been a tricky process. Well, I want to take a step back because this uh, we, we heard about these things being built at the time we were still going through the upswing and headed toward the peak uh, surge in cases, the surge in uh, demand on hospitals and the need for PPE and other things. And there was this concern that if hospitals become overwhelmed, then we're going to need these alternate care facilities to handle some of the demand, to take some of that load off of the hospitals so that the most seriously ill patients can be treated at the hospitals and then others, if I understand it, would be able to be treated in these alternate care facilities. This was happening not only here in Milwaukee. We know McCormick Place in Chicago became set up as an alternate care facility. We heard about, uh, you know, military ships being brought in offshore in New York to be ready to help. But then the story started to come out as things leveled off that many of these facilities weren't ever used at all. In fact, I don't believe State Fair Park has seen a single patient. Is that right? That's correct. It's it sat unused. So what did it the, the number one question I think we hear from viewers then is what did it cost to build these things that aren't even being used? So State Fair Park was fourteen point nine million dollars and House of Correction was six million. That's just for the construction. And remember, the feds are involved in this. So large portions of all of these 37 facilities that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers are involved with, they are primarily or in some cases totally funded by the federal government. The interesting thing, though, is that the cost doesn't end when construction ends. There is a cost that comes with the upkeep of the facility, the maintenance. You have to figure out who's staffing what. If, if you want to keep it open, there is an ongoing cost. And then that is what the state or the county, depending on what facility you're talking about, that's what they're responsible for. And that's what we couldn't get answers about. You know, we just wanted to know what has it cost the state so far to maintain State Fair Park facility. And, and who did you ask that question of? Because it seems there ought to be someone tracking the cost. The I mean, there's got to be a cost just to keep the lights on, to keep the heat on. Who, who did you ask and, and, and what kind of response did you get? Uh, Department of Administration is the one charged with the facility. The facility was turned over to them. I didn't get any response. I, over the course of four days, I sent three different emails, left two different voicemails, couldn't get anyone on the phone, couldn't get anyone to even acknowledge my request. Now, eventually, uh, Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi, he was able to get someone just to send him an FAQ with 
Things like what is an alternate care facility and how is the one getting set up at State Fair Park going to work and who's the contractor? Who are the local subcontractors? This was something pre-prepared, not something responsive to his correct. specific question. It was pre-prepared and it was clearly prepared a while ago and it did not answer my questions about the ongoing costs. So I filed some open records requests. Um, who knows how long it will take for those to come in. This is something that under Wisconsin's open records lies pretty clearly public information, but it would be something that you would think would be readily available because we're, we're talking about tax dollars. We're talking about people's money. I got the impression that there's a little bit of defensiveness about that cost because you will hear people point to whatever the ongoing cost is. We still don't know that and say, why are we keeping this up? We are past the projected peak in Wisconsin for COVID-19. In the case of the House of Correction facility, it finished up just in time for House of Correction to announce, hey, we have no new positive cases uh, for the people who are incarcerated here. And so you have a lot of people saying, why hold on to these facilities. And Governor Tony Evers, in an interview uh, with Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvey, was pretty adamant that we need to keep these facilities handy because we have a unique situation in Wisconsin, and that is the Supreme Court decision that overturned Safer at Home instantly, overnight. And so he's saying with everything opening up so quickly, we don't know if there's going to be a surge. We don't know what that's going to look like. And he believes it would be short-sighted to dismantle the facilities that cost millions of dollars. And even though it's federal dollars, the federal dollars are still your tax dollars. It's not like you don't pay for that. Um, if we dismantle it and then suddenly we need it, we could be in a tricky situation. And so there does that, seem a, to be a some... peculiar sense of reasoning only because, or it seems to me it is because if in fact they're hanging their hat on the Supreme Court decision makes our state unique, there will be a relatively short period of time within which we'll know if that led to a substantial surge, the kind that would cause the need for the use of an overflow facility. If in fact that surge doesn't happen, or at least not to the degree that requires the use of overflow hospitalization, will they then determine that now it's time to dismantle it, or are in fact they waiting to see what happens come, say, this fall when there's talk of a second wave? It just seems like that particular explanation seems to be one that has a fairly uh, quick resolution one way or the other. It does, because when we're talking about surges, you know, depending on who you're talking to, we're talking about different things. So are we talking about what happens uh, as a result of people rushing out to uh, restaurants and bars that were open because of the Supreme Court decision. You're right, Brian. In a few weeks here, we'll have a better idea of what kind of search, if any kind of search, happened because of that. Then there's the prolonged idea of consumer confidence. So maybe you didn't... But that's not unique to Wisconsin. And that that's, is I think, not what I'm unique to that's Wisconsin. That's not unique to Wisconsin. That is not unique to Wisconsin. Now, it... It could be that it's not unique to Wisconsin, but in the eyes of the state government and in the eyes of county government, that that's still a reason to keep these facilities open. I really wish people would talk to us about that. Um, I, I'm not really sure why there's such a, a reluctance to 
have that conversation. Um, and then there's the idea of if there's a surge in the fall, which again would not be unique to Wisconsin. That's something that's been talked about as a concern all over the country. That said, you know, it doesn't have to be unique to Wisconsin in order to have a rationale for keeping this open. But in the meantime, no matter what the reason is, from our standpoint, you deserve to know what's happening with your tax dollars and where they're going and how much is being spent on this, because that's how you make decisions. That's how you decide if you like what your government leaders are doing on your behalf. And that's information that we don't have right now. Well, and you said, or we, we said actually very at the beginning of this podcast that this has been referred to as insurance. And for instance, when you have car insurance, you do pay for it every month or every year or however you do it. You hope you never have to use it. If you don't end up having to use it, was it wasted money or were you protected throughout that period of time in case of some sort of emergency? So the argument here, I, I imagine, may well be even if these facilities don't get used, the idea that we were prepared in case they were needed made it worth the cost. Is that is that sort of the, the argument here? Yeah, that's that's been the argument that we've been able to piecemeal together whenever we can get someone who's willing to talk to us about this. But again, the the interviews that we've done and the information we've received has been more in generalities. It's been really difficult to get specifics. So one big question is, is the Wisconsin State Fair going to go forward as it was planned? And if it does, we have this facility over at State Fair Park. So what happens then? Um, and that's a decision that's actually supposed to come down this week. It, it could be made very soon. So those are a, a lot of the, the looming questions. But my big question as a journalist is just, where do things stand right now and, and what has the cost been? And if that's not an easy question to answer, why isn't it easy? Because you would think that it should be. Well, and I think it would be useful for taxpayers, for viewers, for listeners to this podcast to know what that ongoing cost is. Because if it is minimal and you've already spent $15 million to build a facility, if there's a potential for a second wave this fall and the ongoing cost is minimal, then you you say, well, we might need this thing again. It's certainly going to cost less to continue paying for this thing throughout the summer and into the fall than it would be to construct another one come six months from now. But knowing those numbers would make that part of the discussion. I mean, if in fact the ongoing cost is substantial and we say there's still a pretty small likelihood we're going to need this even come fall. I mean, hey, in this initial surge, we really didn't come close to needing it. Is there any reason to think we would this fall? Then you can sort of evaluate that. So knowing what that ongoing cost is, I think would be helpful for viewers, taxpayers, for voters in Wisconsin to know. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting was in his interview with Jason Calvey, uh, Governor Evers said that the reason that health systems felt comfortable opening up, you, you might remember they a lot of them canceled elective surgeries. There are a lot of procedures that were canceled. Jenna Sachs just did a story about how cancer screenings were way down uh, during the time when everything was shut down. Governor Evers said that the reason health systems have felt comfortable opening up is because they know that they have this insurance policy. They know that they have these overflow facilities to be able to help 
handle things if we start seeing a problem with their capacity. I haven't been able to get any health system to confirm that for me on or off the record. Uh, I haven't received any calls back about that particular issue, so I can't tell you whether that's something that Governor Evers got from speaking to people directly or whether that is kind of an extrapolation that he's making. But that is one of the points he made during his interview with Jason. Well, right here in the Midwest, we have the example to compare uh, Wisconsin with McCormick Place in Chicago, which also was set up by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers with federal money as an alternate care facility. And they have decided to dismantle that facility already. And we know McCormick Place is in high demand throughout the year for conventions. There's a lot of business that goes on at that facility. They've made the decision to dismantle. Does does that really place sort of what's happening here in Wisconsin in, in direct contrast? It does, but it doesn't. Remember, Illinois is still under a stay-at-home order. Their situation is very different than ours, but it does add to our list of questions. So you do get to the point where when you're thinking about the cost, the cost isn't just what is it costing tax dollars in order to maintain this. There's also what are you missing out on by having this here. So they made the decision in Illinois to say, you know, you know what, we we think that the benefits of dismantling outweigh the costs. Now, I don't know what that process looks like for dismantling in terms of getting the federal government involved or how long it takes after you pull the trigger on that in order to see the reality of that situation. But it it does beg the question, okay, if, if they're doing that there, and, and we've heard about some other places um, dismantling facilities, not necessarily ones built by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, but in Seattle, they're starting to dismantle some of their field hospitals. Cincinnati's another location. Um, but you also have people who are keeping theirs up, who had theirs built before Wisconsin did. So I think it'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out. At the end of the day, for the State Fair Park facility, that decision ultimately comes down to the governor. Uh, when we're talking about House of Correction, that's Milwaukee County government. So, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see how that plays out. It's interesting. I, I imagine that with State Fair Park, for example, you could theoretically still have the State Fair if just the Expo Center or the Expo Hall where this facility is currently housed is, is just not part of it. Now, I, I can't imagine we've ever had a State Fair that didn't use that uh, to great extent, but you could theoretically have the rest of State Fair go on. Although I wonder if that would, you know, how that would work with, you know, thousands of people potentially surrounding a building that's meant to treat COVID-19 patients also seems like a, a bit of maybe an, an unsafe contrast, but I, at least it's possible. And I wonder if that's part of the discussion right now is, do we keep this facility in place just in case, especially in case there is a second wave come this fall, uh, but still try to put on events that would otherwise take place at State Fair Park. And that's the difficulty of this. And uh, adding to that difficulty is while there is more testing capacity for COVID-19 in Wisconsin, there's also a lag in finding out what cases are popping up where. Remember, it takes a while for COVID-19 symptoms typically to show themselves. And now, although it's easier to get a test and although you're not waiting a week like you were in March or the beginning of April to get results, you're still 
experiencing some of those delays. And so as a result, and that's why after the state Supreme Court order came down opening everything up, um, a lot of epidemiologists were saying we're not going to know if there was a, quote, surge for another four to five weeks. We're coming up on that time. But I think that's hampers the decision-making process when you know that there is a delay in what you're seeing on paper in the statistics uh, versus real life. So I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you, but I know this is your area of expertise. This is your wheelhouse, so you'll probably have some thoughts on this. But I <laughs> wondered in in reading about how this whole thing came about and who's in charge. Obviously, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was involved. We know the Department of Defense is involved in terms of the funding and the construction. But then with the ongoing operations, you have Department of Administration here. There are people who were appointed. I believe there's a former leader of... Uh, of uh, um, Ascension, uh, who is sort of in charge of this whole thing. Um, but what I'm wondering is for the various people who've been put in positions of authority over operations with this alternate care facility, is there any way, any point at which their meetings to discuss what goes on, how, who's paying for what and all that becomes, I mean, is there any sort of public meeting to follow? Is there any sort of open meeting that the public can view? Here are the discussions they're having about the path forward. Here's the discussions they're having about the cost. Is there anywhere, any other government entity we can go and we can watch the meetings and we can follow the money? Is there any way to do that here? Well, so if we're talking about, I'm going to start with the House of Correction facility because that is the most easily accessible because it is directly through Milwaukee County government. So, and that's actually really the only way we've been able to get the limited information that we have on this is through those public meetings, um, because those are things that need to be discussed on that level. At the state level, it's it's very different because you have all these different people involved, some in the public sector, some in the private sector. So there are certain situations in which some of those meetings don't necessarily have to be public, but the decisions and the way that money is spent is absolutely considered public so long as there is a a record of it, right? Like when we file public records requests, there has to be an actual document or record somewhere out there that exists. It's not just here's a question and I I think the answer should be public. Um, As far as meetings go, I have not seen any notifications of formalized meetings on the state level specifically about the alternate care facility. There is a meeting coming up about the state fair, and that is a public meeting. Um, And so whether or not they discuss the facility there, we'll we'll have to see. Certainly, it seems as a member of the public and a journalist that there would be some value for the public in terms of transparency were there some sort of Uh, alternate care facility task force that had a regular meeting that the public could observe or attend. That is not something we're aware of that's happened, correct? Correct. I I haven't I haven't seen any any task force meeting anywhere. That that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but it certainly hasn't been publicized if it does exist. At the end of the day, you can have all the meetings you want. The the final decision ultimately comes down to the governor. So there was a, a great Uh, to do about how many people were involved in this and here's how we're going to make all these decisions. It comes down to the governor and he can decide for essentially any reason at any point what he wants to do with this. 
And while you had trouble, I, is, is that fair to say you had trouble getting information as you tried to look into this? Yes. I, ha- I mean, ultimately, my public records request, they're go- legally, they have to respond to that. But, and, but you have to wait on those. And I have to wait on those. So I would say I had trouble getting easily accessible information, uh, especially information that you would think would need to be easy to have or something that would be generally easy to locate um, since it is an ongoing situation, you would need to reference what the costs are in terms of the maintenance and the upkeep. And But, but because you have those requests pending, I expect we're going to learn more as time goes on, so there may well be follow-ups in the oh, future. Oh, there, there will be follow-ups, I mean, regardless of what happens. If, if they deny my records request, certainly that's a follow-up. Um, but, you know, when we get that information, that is something that we do intend to share with everyone, because like we said at the beginning of this episode, it's, it's your money, it's a situation that affects your health, you deserve to know what's going on. Well, I appreciate you looking into it. And we are going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record on Tuesdays and Thursdays as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. I want to thank all the people who make this podcast possible for you. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and executive producer Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Polson. For Amanda St. Hilaire, we'll be back again on Thursday. <music>